Welcome to the Network Collective. In this community roundtable, we are talking to Andreas and Haim from ECI, a multinational provider. You might not have heard of them, but I certainly have, and it's a really cool company, about the hype, reality, and implications of 5G in the computer networking. So whether you're in the car, at your desk, or someplace we don't want to know about, hang on to your hats for this episode of the Network Collective. Before getting started, we wanted to take a moment to mention today's sponsors. Sponsoring today's episode is Viavi Solutions. Viavi's Observer Platform helps you better understand what's happening on your network by focusing not on a bunch of random KPIs, but combining KPI data with end-user experience validation to give you an accurate and robust view of end-user network performance. Also sponsoring today's episode is Path Solutions. Want to make network glitches disappear? Path Solutions Total View makes root cause network troubleshooting easy. You'll hear more about each of these great sponsors later on in the show. All right. So it's early morning on the East Coast because we have two really cool guests from ECI. Um, one of them is in Germany and one of them is in Israel. And I'm not sure which one is which, but I'm sure we'll figure that out before, before it's over with. Uh, let's see. Will Germany have better bandwidth or will Israel? <laughs> it's a competition. <laughs> I assume they're both using their own products to get into the internet. So I am Andreas, so let's begin with the very basic thing. I was reading an article a couple of days ago about 5G. I think it was on Wired talking about how overhyped 5G is. So let's just start there. What's the hype? What's the reality? What's really going on with this stuff? Well, I think to, to yeah, firstly, thank, thank you for, for inviting us to, to this session. I think to answer this question, it will take it would actually take longer than, than this whole session would, would run. Um, there's there's a lot of hype. Um, well, as you as you know, in our industry, there's always a lot of hype. You, you're going through those cycles. Um, with 5G, probably the hype started way earlier than the actual the, the first products were, were shipped. Why? Because at least in theory, 5G um, uh, shows so much much promise or offers so many many new potential opportunities or potentials and and opportunities regarding bandwidth regarding services never seen before and so on and so on that people are were just very very excited and then you know our industry takes off and goes into a certain direction um sometimes ignoring the fact that somebody a has to buy all this kit from a service provider perspective, and somebody has to pay for all those services, which the service providers will then subsequently um, and launch. Maybe this is the reason why some people believe, well, this is all overhyped, because there's a bit of a gap between reality and um, what people are dreaming about. But the reason for, for, for the hype, I think, is a, uh, is a valid one. It will change mobile networking as we know it. Maybe not exactly this year in September in the way some people predicted it. Maybe it will take a couple of years longer, but for sure it will make a big difference. So, so you want to give a day in September? No. No, no. It's <laughs> my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's back up and talk a little bit about the technology perhaps. Um, what is going on behind the scenes here? Like, why is there so much? Why do you think it will change the mobile networking world? So I'll I'll, I'll leave the whole <clears throat> uh, really um, sophisticated technological stuff to to my friend Heim. But um, one of the 
reasons why, why, why I believe it, it will change is because there will be new ways of, of um, guaranteeing quality of service, which simply wasn't possible in, or is not possible in today's mobile, in today's mobile networks. And this in itself, uh, within it, in itself is a, is a massive, is a massive change where you can, where, where you, where you can build on. Of course, it needs lots of new technologies. Um, and then there comes, well, I, I think I'm the first one to men, to say network slicing on this call. It only took us five minutes to get there. But of course, this, this is one of the things which will make a big difference, but needs new technology. Otherwise, it, at least it will be very difficult. And, and from a, what, what that means from a, from a, from a protocol and, and the way of building a network perspective, Haim, I think you're, you're, you're best place to, 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 to dis describe this in more detail. Okay, so if I'll continue what Andreas said, I think it make a change. It will make a change not only with mobile networks, also with fixed networks. Uh, my view is that uh, until the fifth generation, basically, the mobile networks had been trying to give you as close as they can to broadband on the move. But with 5G, is going to change. A, it's you're going to have the ability to have better speed uh, with 5G than you have with um, network with fixed networks. And the other thing is that you will be able to get more. We started to talk about network slicing, and network slicing is a way to enable uh, users to get different perspectives and different uh, types of uh, network SLAs. And we're all joking about zero latency, but zero latency is only one of them. The ability to have, for example, the network on demand, it's something that you don't have it in broadband networks. Learn to learn to have it uh, on demand with a guaranteed bandwidth and guaranteed latency. And I think the hype is not, 5G is overhyped not because of the technology. Technology is really cool. The way that the new radio is built, the massive MIMO, that means that the ability to have many, many antennas uh, transmitting and connecting on, on the user uh, element, I mean the, the phone, and both on the network side, the ability to squeeze all of the bandwidth from all of the frequencies, uh, talking about millimetric waves. But this is just an enabler to the hype that really is, is what you are going to do with all of these technologies. So that you will have a network which will have the ability to provide different type of services to different customers on demand, something that you don't see in, neither in mobile networking nor in fixed networking until now. And the question is, what can you do with that? And how can you make money on that? And I think that refers to the real hype. The real hype, I think, is not in technology, it's in the business case. Where if you look at the generations from second to third to fourth, what, you, what we have seen with, with carriers is that while the speed that had been offered to the customers had been increasing significantly, the output it doesn't change. I mean, the, the users are paying the same amount of money to get faster and faster speeds. And I think the, the carers understand that and they try to build a new concept of a network with a lot of service attributes that are connected into it in a way to break loose from this paradigm of uh, all you can eat bandwidth on the go. I think one of the things that we are talking and is mentioned a lot of the time is the ability of cares to provide applications and solution at the edges. What is started as the mobile edge core and then was rebranded as the multi-access edge, um, edge cloud. So 
And that means that you can now uh, deliver applications very close to the users. And then things like augmented reality, remote surgery, autonomous skulls come to mind. And I think this is where you see the hype, where, where I think where people, uh, where, where carriers are providing uh, this multi-access edge cloud paradigm, they assume that they will control everything uh, that, uh, that was going to be delivered over this multi-access, uh, over this neck. But in reality, this is not that easy. I've been to a conference where uh, someone uh, from Verizon had uh, showed uh, the, the way of doing uh, car management and, uh, and they're using the information coming from uh, users that have uh, Verizon mobile uh, phones or connected cars in order to create uh, traffic uh, balancing and also CarPex, the idea is that it's nice, but it's only Verizon. So if you have AT&T car beside you, you cannot enjoy it. So it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in terms of technical terms and the ability to provide applications. So I think there, uh, there is a cool technology. Not everybody know how to do to make money out of it. Not sure that it's going to be only the carriers. And I think it's an interesting point to see how the business case is evolving. What I can tell you now is that there is no one clear business case that is going to make 5G the money generating machine that everybody's talking about. So no, no killer app at this point. Yeah, because okay. look, if you look at, let's start with United States. If you look at the, the real uh, the initial business case uh, is fixed uh, broadband and mobile broadband. So fixed broadband is one of the new uh, things that are, are enabled with the new radio. The efficiency of the radio the, um, uh, in terms of uh, bit per hertz and also the, the coverage and the use of different type of uh, frequencies means that now things like rural areas were in the past were not uh, uh, economical enough to be covered by good broadband connectivity, either fixed or mobile, are now available for coverage. So we'll see that as the beginning, but as I said, the output there is fixed. Nobody will pay more than they pay, let's say, for the satellite provider. So, so this is the cap that you can get. And, and then we start from there, because this is the obvious, you have new radio, it has better uh, bandwidth, so we are going to sell it to your users. The question is, what's going to be next? So, yeah, so one thing that's interesting to me is the, the potential impacts as well, not only just on the mobile market, but on the fixed side. You were talking about, uh, or Andres was talking a bit earlier about changes in the fixed side. One thing that's, that's, that's been interesting is I was reading an article not too long ago, maybe two or three weeks ago, about some car manufacturer, I think it was Daimler, but I'm not positive, replacing their Wi-Fi in their facilities with 5G locally. Now, I'm not sure if that was all their facilities. Maybe it was just the, the lines or something, but that's a pretty interesting concept to me. Have you seen people thinking down this direction of getting rid of, say, Wi-Fi in favor of going to 5G antennas and maybe even 5G service provider locally provided stuff? Or is that something that's really unusual? So this is a really, very interesting use case. It's basically the use case for the ultra-reliable low latency communication. It's not really replacing the Wi-Fi. It's actually replacing the Ethernet cable. So oh, okay. Okay, so this is why you need so the the reliability and the low latency. So 
what, what's interesting is there is a new paradigm in terms of how Industry 4.0 is built. And I was also surprised to see that because I was in, in thinking in the concept of you have a production line, it stays there for several years, and, and, and after you finish it, you build another one. No, actually, it looks like the Industry 4.0 is all about dynamic uh, production lines. And what they do, they, they switch machines, connect them together, and they really don't want cables. Now, the problem with Wi-Fi is that really, really, it's not a technology for uh, low latency or reliability, and it's not built into there, even with the Wi-Fi 6. It's not there, and it shouldn't be there because it's a technology for the mass market. So 5G, the radio 5G, is so robust that it's being used as the Ethernet cable replacement. They're using the massive MIMO and the magnetic waves in order to even compensate for, they showed, uh, I've seen an example by Broadcom, they compensate even for forklift that goes and cuts the radio waves and how they compensate for that. So really it's an interesting thing. And it's also interesting because I don't see how uh, uh, the telecom providers are going to be there because basically it's an IT world. So if you look at it, if the, the softwareization of the 5G infrastructure and the ability to mix and match because everything is basically, everything but the antenna is basically software then you, I think, and again, it's my guess, and it's as good as guess as anyone's, is that you'll see IT providers taking over this land replacement uh, segment. And I don't see that as uh, something that carriers will be able to do, because again, it's an IT world, and IT, as you know, is, has its own game and its own, uh, own rules. Well, I think one interesting thing about this is, when you talk about this and talk about increased bandwidth and lower latency is that, and replacing the cable, is that it does give providers um, the opening to go into large hub, hub and spoke retail outlets and give them something other than a broadband connection um, in a wired broadband connection. So like say you have some small um, you have some small campus or a sales office in your company, you could simply hand them 5G and be done with it rather than going through the trouble of getting any kind of a circuit. Um, it's kind of almost, in some sense, I almost feel like you're getting into the point where you can run SD-WAN over it or something. And that, that, that's right where I was headed, Russ. I was waiting yeah. for you to finish. Like, I mean, yeah. I think there's a there's a, a mess here when it comes to, you know, at least enterprise WAN um, with, with 5G, you know, coming about. And actually, we're starting to see, you know, the reality of it, right? We're talking about next year to two years of, of real implementations of 5G, right? I'm not crazy in thinking that, that we'll see 5G out and in production from our major carriers in the next couple of years, at least in major metropolitan areas uh, here in the U.S. I mean, you guys call me out if I'm wrong there. The, uh, the, the other side of that is with the, the prevalence of SD-WAN. Um, and, and SD-WAN kind of treats 4G as like uh, as one potential mechanism, but I could absolutely see, you know, with, with the promise of what, what 5G is, at least if it lives up to the height from a connectivity perspective, of you just have two or three 5G carriers and a branch is done. And you have you have path diversity, and you have a couple of radios connected to a box, and your branch is online, and that branch is now super mobile. Um, it could be fixed or it could be mobile, depending on what your needs are. And I think this, there's uh, there's a lot of value in that. People have been asking for that for that for a long time. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a it's it's a good point, and but we need to distinguish um, between. I believe we need to distinguish between the application you you were just talking about, which effectively is. A lot of bandwidth. We are two or three different 5G uh, service providers to a um, to a campus, um, but where it's mostly about 
about bandwidth and, and certain basic quality of service requirements, but nothing super critical. So one could say you could solve that as well with 4G. Um, because unless they really have very very strong bandwidth requirements but you you because you should keep in mind of course when you look at at 5g um data rates in isolation extremely impressive when you when you know that and we we, we remember it it started the same way in here in europe with with 3g years ago where people were extremely impressed with the with the theoretical bandwidth and then short time later were quite disappointed about what actually reached their mobile. And we might run into a similar effect with 5G as well, especially in hotspots where you see people walking around with their mobile phones watching 4K videos of cats. <laughs> right. And in parallel competing with band with with bandwidth for, for SD1 enterprise connectivity also. So um, I think also there are a bit of a reality check will 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 kick in. But the the good thing here is it's only bandwidth. When it comes to the industry 4.0 environment, which which Heim was talking about, their bandwidth is cool, but it needs to be delivered with the with the respect um, with the respective latency, etc. Otherwise, um, forget your industry 4.0, forget your whole supply chain. It will just make robots driving around in a very in a very strange way, and and. I think this is a real difference from, from a 5G perspective, that this is a technology which can fulfill this promise. On the other hand, I'm, I'm in agreement there with, with Heim as well. For service providers, this will be very interesting to address this from a business case perspective. 5G has also the potential to, to bring up a multitude, might be a bit of an, of an overstatement, of private networks as long as you get the frequency allocated etc i know we we are not allowed to ignore that um for campus networks either run by it service providers or when it comes to really large corporations to run by the to be run by the departments of those large large corporations um only for their own campus network and they still have the classic interface a gateway to the service provider because for the service provider to be fully embedded in the production cycle, and I do not mean um, um, real-time uh, parts delivery, etc., which I think where I think service providers are already in the loop. This is like real-time control of robots who are just mounting a car or something like that. This, this takes it to a different level. Might be on one on the one hand very interesting business model when you get the whole liability thing sorted out. On the other hand, it might be something where enterprise, where, where, where manufacturers will say, cool, I want to do that myself because it just gives me way more freedom. I was going to say, I, I think there's going to be hesitancy to that model, uh, maybe not everywhere, um, but just in the, in, like <laughs> you're, you're changing the way people do business today. They're used to my providers at my edge I control my internal environment and that gives me flexibility and the ability to change things. And also when you talk about bringing a provider in that deep into your organization, now all of a sudden you're highly dependent for, I think some of the reasons that I am said that, you know, like we're, our carriers aren't going to be talking to each other, at least not cleanly. I don't think we're solving that problem by tomorrow. So it's not like I'm going to have this like, you know, incredible flexibility that if I don't like my carrier today, I can just move to another carrier tomorrow. It's going to be a major forklift and a challenge. Um, to do that because those two aren't going to talk to each other cleanly. I'm going to have to be that bridge. And so like now, you know, now I'm 
creating additional dependency by bringing them that deep into my organization. I think that there's, you know, there's going to be trade-offs just like anything else. Right. Uh, I think the other thing, the thing that we haven't mentioned yet, you know, like you mentioned something interesting and I think it's, it's important to know is we're still dealing with wireless frequency, right? Like we still have all the limitations with wireless that it comes to which band you're using has limitations Um, when it comes to how pervasive it is, how far it will go, what it will permeate through, you know, like those things are still true. So when we look at theoretical speeds in a lab, that's great but there's still all kinds of consideration because we're still dealing with wireless signals. I mean, is that what you mean when you say like, you know, maybe the, the bandwidth is, are you talking that bandwidth may not deliver because of density, just because the number of people using it? Or are you talking about bandwidth may not deliver because of the fact that we're still dealing with a medium, which has limitations? I think it's both, but okay. both of them, a, you know, it's finally, it's not a fiber you are connecting to your mobile phone it's it's still going via the via the via the air and um the more people turn up the less bandwidth everybody will have that, that, that that's a given it's true for all kind of networks but per definition you know as soon as you talk about wireless networks the bandwidth is usually in order is still orders of magnitude lower than when you can what can you get across a fiber so this is one thing and which by the way will be also very inter- interesting when you talk about connected cars or so we have um, i've attended um last year the 5g week in berlin and there was quite an interesting um presentation i think from 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 volkswagen about uh, connected cars in the future and all this kind of stuff and he was sharing with us the amount of data a car produces and this and you don't have one car you have a main road you have 100 cars and they all and they all um, produce an awful amount of data and this all needs to be transported somewhere processed and then sent back so the the, the, the classic the classic way of how people believe connected cars for example will work um, i don't think it will work because you still have passengers passing by, um, or not passengers, um, and pedestrians passing by who simply are using their phone and you are already in, in, a, in a bandwidth bottleneck. So, sorry, but th- that was just an aside. So this is clearly one thing. The other thing is when, you're talking, when we're talking about um, private networks, five, when, you're, when you are in the regulated frequency band, you need to have a license. Otherwise, you are simply not allowed to turn up your 5G radio. And so, and then I think it depends really on country by country um, where there will be unlicensed spectrum, where people can do what they want, or whether there will be non, whether it will simply will simply be forbidden, will simply be forbidden. And in certain countries where you have the auction and then four or five winners. Um, there won't be too many private networks because you're not allowed. You're not allowed to build them up. And then one last thing, also to my um, to my remark, and coming back to Industry 4.0, and um, those private networks to control, for example, robots of, of a, uh, as a part of a production chain, they might actually reside inside the hall where the production takes place to avoid interference or so, which is cool, but not exactly the concept of a mobile network where you have your towers sort of somewhere on the campus and they are um, they are reaching every point. They 
I believe, and, and time, please, please correct me if you see it differently or, or add more detail, they need partially really to be built, uh, purpose built. Otherwise, you have too much interference or you cannot guarantee the signals and then you can, can, can forget your wireless control of your manufacturing chain, which has absolutely nothing to do with service provider or not. That's just uh, how physics work. Yeah, physics work, yeah, sure. So one thing I think is interesting that's going on at the same time, and maybe <clears throat> I am has some thoughts on this as well, is the concept of edge computing. So I could easily say, you know, uh, a company saying, I'm simply going to, because of edge computing and because of uh, everything going on there, being able to distribute my containers. So containerization is a big deal right now. Um, let's say that I could place my containers at a pop for Verizon, AT&T, wherever it happens to be. And I can then hand my entire a small site over to a 5G provider and have my compute and storage for that particular site sitting closer to the site itself. Um, is there any thinking there about how edge compute and 5G might interact with each other in any interesting ways? So let me just demystify some of the things that are related to edge computing. So edge computing by itself is a simple idea. I mean, you take, you build a small data center very close to your customers. Uh, by definition, it's one, it's one of the main uh, components if you want to deliver low latency applications because you have, a la you have low latency radio, but if you need to backhaul everything away to an Amazon uh, uh, data center in, in Seattle, then you will not have low latency processing. So the idea is that you have a small data center very close to your customers and you want to put the applications where latency is of importance. A, not so many applications are of, uh, uh, that much sensitive to latency. Uh, we can talk about autonom autonomous cars, uh, maybe augmented reality, or maybe uh, uh, something like that, smart cities and uh, emergency networks. B, there is again the question of who is making money of what. So data center at small pops is a very inefficient data center. The, the, there is a reason why data centers are built in remote locations where you don't need air conditioning and the electricity is very cheap. It's because mainly the problem with data centers is OPEX, OPEX and again OPEX. Your electricity is everything and you need to take down, and of course real estate. When you go into the city, real estate is very expensive. There is a limit of the amount of energy you can put there even if you have tons of money. And Electricity is very expensive. So you really want to keep this data, small data center only for very, very high uh, value applications. Maybe augmented reality and uh, live gaming is one of them. Definitely autonomous cars are one of them. But then the question is, what is the business model? Again, if the business model is that you have data centers by AT&T and AT&T only provides hosting services to companies like Daimler or Tesla in order for them to install the uh, uh, autonomous cars applications, then you need to build as a Verizon or AT&T, you build a net, your video, uh, business case, a network completely different because it's not going to be a cheap and efficient data center and you need to give them, uh, and hosting by itself is not something that you can make tons of money on. Uh, on the other hand, it's very impractical to have the cares themselves provide these applications. Again, as I said, Suppose that you have an autonomous car applications by Verizon. It only serves Verizon customers, but you have also AT&T cars over there. So how do you manage that? 
my suggestion, and I suggested that at uh, the last MEF conference, was to basically uh, split the application stack uh, horizontally. That means you, you need to understand that carriers and carriers need to understand that carriers need to provide infrastructure services and they need to do that in a, in a unified manner. That means basically what carriers can, can provide is the, the same data center that I mentioned and this would be, that would be the infrastructure for the edge cloud, but they can provide a lot of information and, and, and data and analytics that can be shared between them to the customers because you know that one of the, the main thing with radio is it's one of the best way to scan your environment for uh, um, um, weather control. So it's, it, the radio it by itself is like a radar and you have very good uh, uh, sensing of the clouds and, and winds and, and rain and everything. And all of this data, all of this very, very uh, invaluable data is only with the carrier. They do not share it with anyone. And that could be one of the things that they can give to the customer. Uh, also, for example, and I mentioned that is for drones. I mean, cars are maybe less sensitive to weather conditions, but drones are very sensitive to weather conditions, and they really want to know all of these very intricate details. So it's going to change, and I think carriers, if they think that they can provide these applications, the end-user applications, I think it's wrong, and I think reality will, will show them otherwise. And, and, and this will give rise to other companies that will use carriers as infrastructure, as a software infrastructure, to provide their applications. Okay, cool. So that's, I mean, that's actually an area I hadn't thought too much about with 5G is how much more data is being collected and how it could be used and shared with different people and stuff. So that's another area where, because um, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm very firmly of the belief that enterprises are either going to have to be in a niche or they're going to have to be data driven or they're going to have to die. Unfortunately, I think that's just the way the world is going. Um, you're not going to be able to compete with a data-driven company if you're not data-driven yourself in some way. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean just about people. Like you were talking about weather and things like that, and that's all important as well. Um, so I think that's a really interesting point. This is a great time to take a moment to tell you about today's sponsors. Sponsoring today's episode is Viavi Solutions, and the general theme they've been trying to communicate on Network Collective is that it's time to stop the madness. Network troubleshooting needs a revolution. The process of elimination for many end-user reported issues takes too long or never results in a solution. In fact, according to Forrester, one-third of user complaints take longer than a month to resolve or are never resolved at all. In my opinion, this just points to the fact that network engineers simply aren't equipped with a set of basic best practices when it comes to troubleshooting their networks. They start with what they know and work their way up from there. This isn't getting the job done, though. We need data that drives action, not just more data, and this is exactly what the Viavi Solutions Observer Life platform provides. Through synthetic transactions and end-user experience scoring, you'll be able to get a view of the network reflecting exactly what your users are experiencing. From there, you'll be able to see a transactional view of exactly what is going on on your network and quickly resolve issues that would otherwise be challenging to find. Now, it's impossible for me to tell you the entire value of Observer Live in this short ad, though, so you should go check it out for yourself. You can learn more about their proactive monitoring service at viavisolutions.com slash network collective. There you can dig in and see exactly how Viavi is approaching this problem and even try out their Observer Live platform for free. While you are there, you can sign up for a free enterprise protocols poster. 
a visual guide to the protocols and their relationships across the OSI model. Viavi also very much believes in the value of this community and is graciously giving away four Network Collective community memberships as part of this promotion. If you've wanted to join the Network Collective community but haven't had the resources to do it just yet, this is a great way to get a chance of getting a membership at no cost to yourself. You can enter to win this excellent prize at the same website mentioned before, viavisolutions.com slash networkcollective. Also sponsoring today's episode is Path Solutions. Everybody loves a good mystery, except for when it's a problem in your network. We all run networks that are incredibly smart. Each switch or router contains an amazing amount of information about the network's health and operations. Sadly, most network monitoring packages only go skin deep with understanding all that stuff that's happening, maybe pinging some devices or querying some usage data from a few select interfaces. This means that every time the network glitches, you're left in the dark and have to manually log into two devices to assemble clues and to find out what happened. What's worse is if the problem is not happening when you're looking, chances are you're not going to find it at all. Anytime you have to tell a user that you don't know what caused the problem, it means you don't have enough visibility into your network. You're being held responsible for the entire network, shouldn't you also have visibility to match? If you knew everything your switchers and routers knew, you could solve problems before users even knew that there was a problem to begin with. Path Solutions Total View is designed to automatically dig deep into network devices to learn what they know about your network's performance. 19 error counters, QoS statistics, configuration, and performance information is collected from every interface across the entire infrastructure. This means that Total View knows about any dropped, buffered, or mishandled packet anywhere in the network at any point in time. With their plain English network prescription engine and their path mapping capabilities, they can tell you exactly where and why a problem occurred, so resolution is both quick and easy. An example report might be, the VoIP call was dropped at 2.37 p.m. because the Finance 2 switch interface number 12 dropped 12% of its packets due to a cabling fault. This means your network is no longer full of mysteries because you know everything your network knows. Try TotalView on your network and it will show you five things about your network that you didn't previously know. Visit www.pathsolutions.com and they will show you how total network visibility will solve the mysteries in your network. Another thing that's interesting to me about 5G is the impact on the internet infrastructure. Um, it's there's so much bandwidth at the edge now. I begin to wonder how is the internet infrastructure going to keep up? And I know we've driven much more towards internet exchange points at the edge and we've done things like this, but does anybody have any thoughts on where that goes with 5G? Cause I mean, we're talking massive amounts of, of bandwidth on the edge. May I be want <laughs> to say that I don't think internet traffic is going to benefit from 5G because nobody is paying enough to get the internet infrastructure to be that much uh, evolved. I think what we're going to see, especially with all of the concept of uh, differentiated services and different type of services with 5G, is that you're going to have two types of networks. Internet traffic, which is uh, uh, flat rate and nobody makes really money there. And you'll have all of the um, uh, related uh, uh, guaranteed services on 5G. And even if in the United States you, you have given up on net neutrality, 
the rest of the world haven't given up there. So it means for, for the carriers that they cannot get more money on internet services. So I think what we'll see is something else. You're going to see the, uh, the internet where everything is slow and best effort, and you're going to see a much faster network for those who can pay in 5G. Otherwise, carriers have no reason to basically invest in the infrastructure. Even today, they are talking only about the new radio and, and, and the transport infrastructure, even for private networking, is not there yet in terms of investment. So let alone the, the internet side, which is the lowest uh, margin of all. So you think we need new transport protocols like TCP quick type of things to, or a different flow control mechanisms, at least in those, to make things run faster um, in globally? Or are we thinking more like just the speed of the links? No, I really, I really think that in, in, uh, what we'll see is uh, much more f- uh, efficient uh, transport protocols and beat IP or all of the things that haven't been done on IP in terms of quality of service and uh, flow control in, in the 5G network. Uh, and we are going to see stagnation in the internet world. This is, this is my, my guess. Again, again, it's my guess and I, I, I have no way to prove that. But again, I look where the money is. The money is in, in services in 5G and people will invest there and we see more and more people investing in different types of technologies there in order to improve latency. And again, it's a network that needs to, on, on one hand, to deal with the elephant flows coming from massive video download to mice connections of IOTs and everything needs to be controlled together and, and be side by side. So we are, going, we are going to see a lot of developments specifically for these kinds of networks. I don't, I don't see that going into the internet infrastructure. So that's actually interesting because when I first got into networking, many, many, many years ago. Almost five. <laughs> um, we, uh, there was a thing about the telco guys always used to tell me, well, you know, IP is a little special thing that will only be done on campus. You'll never get it to work over the wide area, blah, 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 blah. And um, then it came that the network just once modem started out and we started doing long distance transmission of IP stuff and um, this type of thing started happening. We actually saw the telco network become basically just Dalton and all the real stuff was happening over the top. What I'm hearing you say maybe is that maybe the IP network becomes the tile tone and all the interesting stuff is going on over the top until somebody decides, okay, well, that's enough of having dial tone that's IP. We're just going to replace it with something different and new. That's an interesting concept. I don't know what that would look like, but it's very feasible because it's happened before in telecom, right? Yeah, yeah I agree. And I think, again, it's, it, you, I follow the money. The money should be there, and they cannot do, make money on, on regular Internet. So this is where yeah. you see all the research and investment. As a side yeah. note, I really appreciate that. I think we, I think we forget an engineer. Engineers yeah. just love to forget the economics of things. Like, that matters. <laughs> like, how is someone going to make money off of this? Because that's really what, at the end of the day, no one's going to build an infrastructure unless they can make, make some cash off of it. That's the reason why they're in business. And so, uh, you know, like, I love the hype. I love the technology. I mean, it's always fun to talk about the theoreticals, but the reality is that someone has to be able to deliver this and someone has to be able to, like, put food on their, on their plate for their family to make this happen. And, you know, unless that's there, I think there's a lot of challenges. I mean, you've mentioned several here that are, that are significant. 
uh, when it comes to like what's actually going to happen versus, you know, you know, <laughs> versus the theory and all the hype. I think that's uh, we're starting at Russ's question right at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> what's what's hype versus reality? The reality is economics. Yeah, I don't think ultimately, and this is this is something that's hard a lot of times. I don't think ultimately you can necessarily make money off of transporting bits. Um, I think you can make money off of differentiating bits off of, um, I mean, a bit is not a drop of water. We hear this all the time. Networks are like plumbing. Um, no, they're not. <laughs> you are, there's no difference between one drop of water and another There's drop of water. There's, there's, there's <laughs> a lot of difference between different drops of water or between different packets. So, you know, if you can differentiate traffic and you can make money in that way, then you can make money off a of transport, but you're not really making money off the transport itself. You're making money off the differentiation and the way you handle things. And I think this is interesting because this is kind of where 5G might come in and say, you know, all these years we've tried to have the end-to-end principle where we just don't differentiate between bits. And maybe you just can't do that. Maybe that's just not. There's a couple of interesting intersections here, though, because we see, you know, uh, we talked about SD-WAN earlier. With SD-WAN, like the the perspective, or at least the dream that's being sold is going the opposite direction altogether. I don't want my provider to prioritize bits. I want to have multiple providers and tons of bandwidth. And I will just use the provider that's giving me the best throughput at the moment or the best the best performance. And so I, I see a divergence there between, you know, what providers can provide and, and economically be viable with versus what what enterprises believe they're going to be able to do in the very near future. That's interesting. Um, I think, uh, by the way, sorry, I think it's a very good point. Uh, there are two ways of thinking about how you get your connectivity as an enterprise. One of them is saying, I, I'll do the SD1 thing. And SD1, by the way, the, the software side of it, I mean, as a software, it's a short term, uh, uh, it's something from the last years, but you know, uh, load balancing and, and multi one connectivity has been there for years. For exactly for that reason, and I'm saying is that this is really predicated is predicated on the internet of the past, where you had very good connectivity all the way. By the way, we are doing this podcast using uh, uh, common internet, yes, without any prioritization or anything else, and it's good enough. And and you say you you know what? Instead of paying a lot of money for dedicated links, I will have huge amount of connectivity coming from the same provider, different providers. And the, augment, the augmented bandwidth will be as good as and will cost less than uh, the, uh, the list lines that I would have to, bought, to buy otherwise. But as I said, and that also uh, corresponds to what Russ said about the need for differentiation. Legally, again, apart from the United States, legally you cannot differentiate bits on the internet, the internet. Technically it's possible, legally it's not. So. What you are saying is that, and, and carriers need to make money. So the only way for them is to build a new paradigm. And this is the 5G paradigm, which allows you to take that to a, a different perspective. And, and again, it has two points. It has, it's a new network and it's network on the move. And most people now consume their bandwidth on the move. Second thing uh, uh, is about where, where you're going to uh, change the way people are paying you. And I think even though nothing technically uh, prevents you from differentiating things on your fixed network, people are, are used to pay more money on the mobile services. Phone calls had in, in, uh, are cost more, mobile benefit is costing more. And again, regardless of technology, people are used to pay money there. 
So I'm going to see, I think we're going to see more and more investment in 5G and, 5, and mobile networking just because you can charge and people are willing to pay more money. And by the way, even today, even without the net neutrality, um, even with net neutrality, you see companies like uh, Netflix and others trying to bypass the problem with differentiation by locating the most popular videos at cache, caching site and paying carriers for that. So again, there is a need for differentiation and the minute carriers will provide differentiated services to the other application providers, we'll see that. What I don't see is the carriers providing their own application. I don't see carriers successfully competing with Netflix and Amazon for videos and, and so on and, so on, and, and with Spotify and music. So I think if they, if they do what they're doing well, that would be uh, for them the best way. Man, I just don't know. I mean, so I, I, I hear what you're saying. And the differentiated services make sense when you talk about uh, someone building out their WAN, right? So when we have control end to end, but with, with the move to cloud and so many services being provided, you know, via the internet where we say, oh, wait a minute, the internet performance is likely going to actually like take steps backwards, <laughs> right? Because of, of more, more in-point throughput being available and differentiated services being, you know, being preferred over internet bandwidth and only having constrained resources about that, that, that transit link. Like, I don't know that businesses are going to accept that answer, right? Like the, the idea no. being that, that so many of their services are delivered via the internet because I don't have a direct path to this. this well, company. actually, right. Yeah. I mean, you can yeah. turn that around though, right? You can say, well, let's see, I can throw out this little retail site. And I can have a standard internet connection, which has no QoS because legally or whatever, it doesn't. And it has low bandwidth. Or I can attach everything through Verizon or everything through AT&T or everything through some provider, whatever it is. And I get QoS and better bandwidth. And I'm paying a bit more for it. But, hey, I'm paying a bit more for it, but I'm getting a lot more services out of this. Um, so then you can see where perhaps a, a company might say, well, it is important to me as a cell phone store to have differentiated service so I can have the customer walk in and be able to go to a VR environment off of my cloud server. So now I'm going to pay that extra to get I, that. I'm not disagreeing with that, but right now America seems to be one of the only places in the world where that's legal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's well, the argument is that, is that you can have differentiated services for your own WAN. That's fine. But differentiated service to the internet is the whole net neutrality argument. Right. right. And we've talked about this. It's it, well, not on the show. Maybe I, I should be careful about that. We haven't talked about it on the show necessarily, but that's a really complicated argument, right? There's a, there's a, a fair use side of argument. That's, that's really worth, you know, like the, there's a valid argument there, but then there's also a valid argument from the feasibility, the economics of the provider, like how they actually provide services. And right now, if you can't consistently provide differentiated services to the internet, um, you know, like you can do it in the U S but you can't do it elsewhere. Like that's a, that's a challenge. I'm, I, well, I would I would like to throw in one one statement that <clears throat> I think we shouldn't link 5G too closely to to internet. Also, well, when you look at it from the perspective, well, finally, finally, there needs to be a business case. There's a certain likelihood. I'm, I'm phrasing this carefully here, but that the um, the real business um, on or based on 5G networks, will not be driven by consumers. It will be driven by enterprises or by certain verticals who will expect um, their kind of services, the classic 
Let's park industry 4.0 might be a bit too special, but the classic smart grid, smart city stuff, or, or maybe also certain red light, blue light services. Um, those guys will hardly ever use the internet, but it will be completely 5G based. And there, as soon as you are in an effective, in a sort of a private networking environment. Well, it's, it's a very large private network. It covers a complete country and addresses certain, certain markets. Um, then, well, there is nothing, it has nothing to do with net neutrality anymore. Then you as a service provider are just uh, able or, and allowed to offer the certain quality of service the service needs and, and your customers will pay, will pay for it and, and everything is legal. And I believe this will mostly drive the more sophisticated side of the 5G rollout going forwards. For, the, um, for us, usual end consumers, it, I think it will be down to bandwidth, of course, in a, decent, in a decent quality. And I think most of us will be happy about that. I think it, it's, it's still some, some time out until you will see people with virtually 5G connected virtually virtual reality headsets going up and down Times Square or something like that. Um, and they need their one millisecond latency to the headset or so. That's a bit of science fiction thing. So, and I, I cannot imagine that too many service providers will build their business case and their network rollouts actually on, on something like that. But for certain verticals who are waiting for some kind of services since quite a while, it just wasn't technologically possible anymore. There, it, it's a completely different game, but it has nothing to do with the internet. This is really a service provider offering, and 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 there, yeah, and there it will work. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, and I, I agree with that. When you talk about widespread, you know, applications being delivered, I mean, who else is going to do it? I mean, it has to be done by by the provider. I just think it's interesting the intersection between the two. I yeah. agree that five G isn't going to drive the internet, but I think it's going to affect the internet. Yeah. Uh, just because the amount, the amount of theoretical throughput we're giving to in devices, we know how it works. You're going to give to those in devices. They're going to use it. Like, like that's just the way it works. Like everything ramps up and, and uses what's available to them. And if we are driving that to the internet, just from people watching 4k cat videos, when they really could get away with 1080 or even 720, they'd be fine. Your cats look but just want, funny you, there, you want to but see you the want hair. them in 4k. Right? <laughs> you want to see individual hair. And the whiskers, very important, <coughs> individual hair. So another question I have that, that might impact the networking industry is something that um, I think it was Haim said earlier was, or maybe it was Andreas, said that from the ground up, everything in 5G is software except the radio. And that is so alien to the networking market today. And I just want to, you know, is this causing a revolution in the way that providers are seeing the network? And what, what will that likely possibly drive back into the rest of the networking world in some way? So I think, again, as I said, 5G is going to impact fixed networks big time. And, you know, the difference between, five, between mobile networking and, and, and fixed networking is that mobile networking is a new paradigm every two, 10 years, and, and fixed networking is nothing like that. And I, and I think definitely that while uh, the fixed networking has been uh, talking about uh, softwareization for the past, I don't know, six to 10 years, basically the mobile networking has the, the, been the one that actually took that and put that into the specification. And that will definitely will, will cause uh, a revolution in the way networks are built and networks are even delivered. As I said, 
first, it's very, really easy to create a 5G network in terms of software and hardware. You really, really need the antennas, and this cannot be done in software, but anything else can be done in software. And with the introduction of unlicensed specs to directly into the 5G specifications, it, you will see new ways of delivering things from uh, private networking on campus using unlicensed uh, uh, spectrum to uh, carriers that uh, now will, will distribute to the core to the edges, enable, enable them to do things like fast roaming and end-to-end -end service delivery across carriers. And there is a huge impact on the way networks are built and, and, and delivered. Even for transport networks like us, where we are used to uh, deliver uh, traffic in a hub and spoke manner to the big uh, central offices where the EPC was, like in 4G, this is going to change. The hub and spoke, logical hub and spoke that was translated into physical hub and spoke, now we'll have to change to full mesh connectivity in order for everyone to speak to everyone directly without any centralized authority. And again, even that is a huge impact in the way networks are built and, and managed. I think I tend, yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think I think that's I think that disaggregation is coming to the fixed network world, and and it's going to be a tsunami in many ways over the way we build networks today. And a lot of network engineers aren't really. I mean, we're thinking DevOps, we're thinking DevSecOps, we're thinking Net Net uh, uh, NRE, uh, Network Reliability Engineering, things like that. And these are almost like just eating at the edges of the. It's the first phase. Yeah, this is just the first phase. <laughs> first phase and I, yeah. I, I think when things really change, they're going to change. And it's going to be pretty crazy. All right. I think, uh, I think this is a good place to wrap the show. Um, before, we, uh, before we move on, though, we want to give everyone an opportunity to learn uh, a bit about where they might be able to find our guests here. So why don't we start off with uh, Hayam. Why don't you uh, share where people might find you? Uh, what are you working on? Anything interesting that, that you know, people can go, go find? You know, hey, this is where we're at. So I have a, a blog at ECI website, ecitele.com, uh, and I also have an active Twitter account, HIMP. Uh, I'm working now on, on our next generation for uh, transport networking for network sliced uh, uh, 5G networks. We're also working on the end-to-end inter-care services. It's an interesting concept, just the ability to uh, take your service like we have now and cross different carriers in order to do it dynamic on the fly. And by itself is an interesting thing that we can see on the map. And that's it. Excellent. Andreas. Yeah, so um, I'm mostly uh, working on, let's say, go-to-market when it comes to um, not, not only messaging, also um, yeah, building, building our solutions in a way, not from a technological perspective, but from a descriptive, descriptive perspective, um, to address the challenges going forward. Of course, of course, with a strong focus on 5G, and and of course, and also um, talking directly to customers to understand to understand their needs, and um, try yeah try 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 to address those because it's a well, it's a big new market in in front of us, which might not be as different as some people believe but still different enough also for us as a as a vendor to to differentiate especially in this in this phase of slight confusion and before still before some phases of um dilution i think is, is the right word um it's um well trying of course together together with my team um to well, to make a good impression and to understand uh, our customers and then um, offer them the right solution. So Excellent. you also blog on ECI Light Talk, right? 
Andreas, from time no. to time, do I see you out there? Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, all okay. right. Russ, where can people find you? Well, you can always find me at rule11.tech. You can find me at the Network Collective. And actually, I blog on ECI Light Talk as well about once a month. So um, I tend to cross-post those to Rule 11. So if you just follow Rule 11, you'll find me there. But you can also find me on Twitter at Routing Geek. Not that I ever log in, but sometimes. Have, have you reverted? You don't log in anymore? <laughs> I thought you were logging in once a week or something like that. Yeah, like once a week or something maybe. I don't know. <laughs> And then you can also PM me on LinkedIn, of course, and uh, other places. So it's cool. All right. Uh, I'm Jordan Martin at BC Journal on Twitter, uh, jordanmartin.net, uh, also here at Network Collective. Uh, thanks so much to, uh, to ECI for lending us some, uh, some expertise here. It was an awesome conversation. I appreciate you guys taking the time. Also, thanks to uh, our sponsors today for the episode. Um, if you like this episode, there are many, many more like it. You can find us all at the, uh, thenetworkcollective.com. Uh, from there, you can learn how to subscribe to us. If uh, if you want automatic notifications, we're on iTunes and Google Play and all the regular podcast places. Uh, appreciate it. We don't ask for this often, but uh, but hey, if uh, if you like the show and you listen to us uh, regularly, we'd really appreciate it if you go out to like iTunes and and rate us and review us and 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 put on a nice word for us. That'd be awesome. Or tell a friend or something because it'd be cool. Um, we also like to we love to chat with our listeners. So we're on you know all the different social media platforms at Net Collective PC on Twitter. We're on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Um, and last, uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, you should definitely go check out the Network Collective Community Membership. Uh, lots of awesome stuff happening there. New content delivered every month. Uh, just an absolutely incredible Slack channel. Super busy with lots of great uh, great engineers talking about engineering things. So we'd like to have you. So you can go check that out. TheNetworkCollective.com/slash/join. Uh, thanks again for for listening, and we will see you next time.